there's something special just about the reality of worship. I think that one of the most important reasons to gather every single Sunday, and I know I feel it, the moment I miss a Sunday, I'm like, man, I just want to gather together and worship. There's something powerful that happens in a room like this that just does not happen in your basement or your bedroom or your living room. We love online church and the ability to watch a message back when you miss and all of those things. I'm just going to be honest, Artisan Church, uh, we, yeah, we facilitate and we, we want to put out this digital content, but we believe in the gathering of the saints and that the scripture tells us we're not to forsake this. So I'm just encouraged by you coming on a summer Sunday with beautiful weather. You could be outside. You said, no, I'm going to make a priority. I'm going to get my family in the house of the Lord. And I believe it's an emp- a powerful declaration that sets your week in the right direction. And um, today I'm going to continue in a series that we launched last week called More Than Enough. And really, um, more than enough is uh, a theme throughout Scripture, this reality that God has more than enough for you. He's got it covered. But we're going through both, we'll go into the Old Testament, New Testament, kind of all over, of different moments where we see sort of what I would call kingdom math where things are multiplied um, or things are even knocked down and, and God uses less than we think he would want or he takes very little and he multiplies it. Um, but today I've got a sermon um, that, that I'm excited about. And this is one of the leading passages that I was uh, inspired this series. And we're going to talk about what happens when we have nothing. What happens when we've got nothing? in an area of our life or a part of our life or we are at our like end. We've got nothing left to give. What happens? What does God do with our nothing? What happens when we've got nothing to bring to him? And I really believe that today's message is going to be an encouraging one. Uh, Last week was a mix of encouragement, but there was also some challenge there to forgive people who've unjustly wronged you, to offer forgiveness to everyone I would encourage you to go back and listen to that message if you missed it, um, just because I, I, even after, after the fact, the, the weight of that message didn't fully hit me until I was done preaching. I'm like, wow, this is so vital. The more I studied forgiveness, it's, it's one of those things that it can really create some corruption and some, some pain. And we talked about bitterness and offense and what that does to our spirit and our soul. So go back and listen to it if you missed it. Um, But today we're going to dive into really two stories that are the same story repeated. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes Jesus has to remind me of some things. Sometimes Jesus has to do things over again, unfortunately, because I missed it the first time. And so he's got to show me again. And he does this at times throughout the text and especially with his disciples. And we're going to start today out of Luke chapter 5 and we're going to go to verse 4. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 4. And um, this section is titled, Jesus Calling His First Disciples. And we know that Jesus um, would give these pretty um, cryptic invitations to just come and follow me. He, He didn't really unpackage and unload every detail of what this would mean. It was sort of like this just generic statement. And we see some disciples say yes, and there's also stories and texts that show us people who say no. They have the same invitation to come follow Jesus, and there's Jesus in the flesh, and people like the rich young ruler, uh, they just say no. Uh, It's not worth the cost. It's not worth it. But here in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 4, Jesus has just got done teaching, and he had sort of apprehended 
the boats of some young men because there um, on that portion of the Sea of Galilee, um, if you were just right and you were a little ways out in the lake, it would actually cause like an amplification, sort of an echo of your voice. So he had hijacked some boats and he had said, I need to preach from these boats. And so he would preach from the, the water, not just so the crowd could form, but it would have also amplified his voice well because how I many you know, there was no microphone, so he had to shout. He had to project his voice. So he's done teaching. And it says in verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, who's later Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And, um, and, and Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And if you didn't know, uh, most fishing is done uh, late into the, in the dark and early morning hours because the water cools and the fish come higher up on the surface, especially in the Sea of Galilee. They would use nets to catch the fish, and so they needed to be higher to the surface. This wasn't deep sea fishing. You know, they're not pulling up halibut. They're throwing nets and trying to catch as many fish as they can. And so even Jesus, I'm just letting you know, Jesus telling them, hey, let's go out fishing during the day. It'd be like, ah, uh, Jesus, I don't know if you know this. I know you're not really a fish. I know you're a carpenter, so let me help you. You don't fish during the day. Like, we don't, we don't do this, but here Jesus is like, hey, go out into deep water. It's also, you don't want deep water. We, don't, we have nets. We don't have fishing poles. This is terrible advice, Jesus. It's really, really bad advice. But Simon, so he said, ah, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. We've got nothing to show for our work. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught, su caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. All of a sudden it dawns on him, this is not just some rabbi. This is not some teacher. This is the Lord. I'm a sinful man. I'm not worthy to be around you. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So then they go and they follow Jesus. They, they minister with him. They serve him. They help him. This miracle was a, enough to get them on board with Jesus' mission. So they do this. Jesus actually goes. And he gets arrested. He dies on a cross. All of these disciples abandon him. He's at the cross, and, and, and his disciples are not staying around. They're scattering. They're hiding. And he actually does exactly what he told them would happen, and he rises from the dead three days later. And then he begins to show himself to people. He starts showing up. It's part of why um, even historians who, who don't believe in Jesus say, oh, well, we have to actually call the resurrection of Jesus a historical fact because there were so many eyewitnesses and so many different recordings of it that it's more accurate than most historical documents we have. Like we, we know more about the resurrection of Jesus than stories we believe of Alexander the Great. You know, maybe there's one eyewitness to that and we take it as fact. And yet there are so many because he showed himself to dozens and dozens of people and it was recorded. But he begins to show himself to people, 
And here we find, and we'll pick up the story in John chapter 21, in, in verse 4, the disciples, they're, they're back to fishing, and they're trying to catch fish. And early in the morning, it says, Jesus stood on the shore. This is the ascended Jesus, or not the ascended, this is um, Jesus after he rose from the dead prior to ascension. And early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? How's it going? You caught anything? No, they answered. So from the shore, he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Cast your nets on the other side. Try the other side. Hey, you haven't caught anything? You haven't, you've got nothing? Try the other side. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Does this sound familiar? It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped in the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. Full of fish. So here we have these two stories. They're very similar in nature. Jesus repeats this miracle. But in these stories, I believe we're going to find um, some clues. We're going to find some attributes of Jesus and how he works. And it's going to help us to understand what do we do when we've been spending all night, when we've been working so hard and we've got nothing to show for it. What do we do when we've got nothing to bring to God, when we've got nothing for him? And the first thing that I think is so beautiful in both of these passages, something consistent that we see in Jesus, is that in both stories, Jesus allowed them to fail before extending his favor. He, he was standing on the shore watching them struggle. Like he's just watching them flail and fail and struggle and bring in nothing. Nothing. In fact, he enlisted them in the first story, and, and he knew. He would have seen the state of the boat. He would have seen the state of it. He knew there was nothing. You had a night of failure, and, and I mean, you're talking about this is your profession. This is your income, and, and fishermen were very much paycheck to paycheck at times. The catch was everything. Sometimes just a broken net back in the day could actually bankrupt a fisherman because of the cost of repairing these intricate nets. I mean, and to have a night of nothing, no catch, no fish, nothing to sell the next morning was a serious issue. So here he is, he's watching them fail. And, and as I thought about this reality, this idea that Jesus allowed them to fail, um, I was really challenged on just my view on failure this week for myself. Just like, how do I see failure? How do I look at failure in my own life? Like when I come up short and I got nothing to show for my efforts, when I come up and even maybe my best effort just wasn't good and I'm failing and I'm struggling. By the way, too, sometimes we, we in church, we sort of exchange failure and sin. Like, oh, that's just one of my failures. But how many of you know you can fail without sinning? I just want to be very, very clear. Like you could be a complete failure and have not sinned in the situation. Like, you just gave it your best effort, and you messed up. Now, 
Now, if you're my personality, you tend to sin after failing. Like, you know, <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> like the thoughts, the words, the descriptors. Like, but it's, the, you can fail and not sin. Like, you can fail. Jesus allows you to fail. He can sometimes, apparently, watch us fail. So maybe our view on failure comes more from culture than from Scripture. Like maybe our view on failure has caused us to create all these regrets in our life. Because we came up short. So I regret that. I never should have done it because I failed. So that's, that's in the negative category for my life. Some of you have categorized whole seasons of your life that in your mind amounted to nothing because you didn't achieve the goal you had set. And God just might be looking at that season going, no, you were doing exactly what I needed you to do because I was setting you up something in your life. That setback was a setup for something fresh, for something new, for me to do something in your life. But yet you've categorized it as a regret. If we carry too many regrets, it's going to weigh you down. But some of us need to reshape seasons of failure. And, and, and understand, too, that God's favor can come right at the end of a lot of failure. You could be exactly where you're supposed to be, doing exactly what you're supposed to be, and yet still see some failure in your life. And apparently, Jesus is not as stressed about your failure as you are. Like, he's not as worked up as you are. He's not as stressed about it as you are. Failure is, is crippling, though, in our world, which is a performance-driven environment. Let's just be honest. It's about performance. It's about can I deliver not just today, but every single day. I got to keep showing up. I got to keep performing. But quick reminder, Jesus places obedience before performance. Will I be obedient? Will I step up? But in culture, if you fail to achieve optimal results, it's a failure and you should regret it. How could you? You weren't good enough. You weren't strong enough. You weren't brave enough. You weren't talented enough. You didn't train hard enough. You didn't work. You didn't put in the work. And I would call this, I'm going to coin a phrase for myself, it's, it's goat syndrome. The greatest of all time syndrome. We live in a society that is obsessed with labeling who's the goat with everything. Who's the greatest? Who's the Michael Jordan of everything else? Who's the greatest of all time? And then we idolize it. We obsess over it. We put the goat on a pedestal that can't seem to be touched because it's become something that's almost, it, almost, it, it can almost feel like an idol, like this idea. Like if you aren't trying to be the greatest, what are you even doing? Like what are you even doing? You're not trying to be the greatest? You're not trying to be the best of all time at your thing? But here's the ultimate flaw that I see. There's a lot of flaws in always trying to pursue being the best. Is you can't call yourself the best unless you have fully compared yourself to all the rest. So I cannot declare best without comparison. So if I'm targeting being the best and trying to be the greatest and trying to step up my game and, and, and beat everybody else down, that requires me to compare 
and contrast. It's part of why the GOAT conversation is as elaborate as it is with every single sport, for example. We compare stats. We compare achievements. We compare championships. What's better, their regular season performance or their playoff performance? I don't care about their regular season performance if they can't perform in the playoffs. And how many rings do they have? But what about their stats? And how many times do they in this conversation requires this extreme comparison. We see it celebrated in society, so then we take it into our careers and our jobs and our marriages, and we compare and contrast and go, man, did I catch anything? Am I even accomplishing it? I've worked so hard, and I feel like I've got nothing to show for it, which in reality just means you're not the best. And I've had this phrase ringing through my head, and it's just lodged in my spirit. Maybe it'll encourage you as much as it's been encouraging me in this season. I may never be the best, but I can always get better. I may never be the best, but I can always get a little bit better. I can always study the word. I can always listen to the Lord. I can always get just a little bit better. I can work hard. I can do this. But making being the best a target is going to set me up to be crippled by failure, and when I come up short, watch, what, see, what happens is once we start to get so crippled by the failure, often we're unwilling to try again. We're unwilling to cast our nets on the other side. We're unwilling to listen to what Jesus has to say. But Jesus didn't shame their failure. He showed them a better way. And in fact, he had to do it again twice. <laughs> he had to show it to them twice. Thank God that Jesus' favor doesn't expire. I'm so grateful that his favor doesn't have an expiration date. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more glad, gladly about my weaknesses, about my failures, about my shortcomings, about where I didn't measure up, where I'm not the best. I will boast about my failures so that Christ's power may rest on me. One of the most beautiful things, if you've got nothing left, he gets all the glory. The disciples get zero glory in this story. You are failed fishermen. <laughs> but with Jesus' favor, oh, you can bring in a massive haul. Another thing we see that Jesus does is he actually gives clear instructions. He gives clear instructions. I think that for some of us, we want to act like Jesus' instructions aren't clear in Scripture, mainly because we don't want to listen to them. We act like it's murky or cloudy or complicated because we just don't want to do it. Because I, I don't know about you, but when I've been failing for a long time, I don't want anyone's advice. Like, don't give me your input. Like, I'm frustrated. I'm trying, trying to work on my golf shot, and it's been terrible all day. I'm like, no advice, no tweaks. I'm just angry. Like, leave it alone. And you picture they've been failing all night, and here's Jesus on the shore. Hey, have you tried the other side? Like, no, Jesus. We've just been hanging out here. We haven't been struggling and failing all night. Of course I tried the other side. What do you mean? I would be frustrated. I don't know that I'd respond this way. And sometimes the clear instructions come 
But we are so discouraged by our wrong view of failure that we just don't want to receive it. And often we minimize that instruction down to where like, yeah, would that even make an impact? Like there's no way. Like there's no way that that's going to make an impact. Like it's, it's not that dramatic because we want these huge dramatic swings. We want the pendulum just to rock it over to the other side. And so, so when we wanted, like, want our faith to grow, we were like, it's got to be dramatic. I got to change everything. I'm going to be the 4.30 a.m. wake-upper. And I'm going to get up early, and I'm going to study for two hours every day for Scripture. And it's going to be amazing. And there's just going to be this glow emanating from my office at 4.30 in the morning. And my whole family's just going to experience a move of the Spirit because of my dedication I've never done devos once, but that's what it's going to look like tomorrow, starting tomorrow. And so we shift, we do these huge pendulum swings, and we miss it. And we miss it. And sometimes Jesus' instructions are as simple as, hey, try the other side. Listen to me. Try the other side. Give it a shot. Shift it. In the kingdom of God, church. Minor adjustments can have a major impact. A major impact. Don't be so opposed to a minor adjustment, a minor instruction. Don't be so opposed to getting a little bit better. Right? It's a, we've heard teachings, and there's a lot in society around the, just the power of 1%, right? The power of a 1% better today. Can I just move forward a little bit? Can I move the needle a little bit? Can I take some instruction? And, and, and what happens in that area of my life where I've got nothing? God's favor just might fall on it if I would listen to his instructions. If I would listen and be obedient. Would I just listen to that instruction? Major life change often begins with marginal adjustment. Jesus didn't shred and mock all of the effort the disciples had from the night. He just guided an adjustment. Hey, try this. Hey, try this. I love that Jesus is kind enough to sort of offer it. Like, hey, have you thought about trying this? <laughs> like he's so encouraging with that, you know. Hey, would you, would you consider this? And he knows it's exactly what you need but he's kind enough to make you think it's kind of your idea. <laughs> hey, just give this a shot. Whoa. Worked. It worked. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 tells us that consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. We got to build faith by hearing the message and actually hearing the word about Christ, there is instructions in here that's going to build your faith. That's going to help you walk out in favor. That's going to help you see a shift in your life. Look for the clearest instruction that you can listen to today. Make that adjustment. Make that, well, it's minor, Pastor Sam. It's not dramatic. No one will celebrate me for it. No one's going to talk about it. Make the minor adjustment. Do it. Give it a shot. Listen to the instruction of Jesus. He is just so good not to overwhelm us by pointing out all of our flaws at once. He's so good to just say, hey, let's work on this one right now. Hey, let's work on this one right now. 
This will help you. This will help you. I love, too, that in this story, both of them, Jesus turned their nothing into something. And this is powerful. And if this doesn't encourage you, I don't know what else to do to encourage you. He took their utter failure, their nothing, I mean, no fish. He wasn't multiplying some fish that got caught. There was no fish. Nothing to show for their efforts. What are the parts of your life right now that you are just at your wit's end about? You've got nothing left. You've got nothing left. You are at nothing. This story helps us to see that hundreds of failures plus one moment of faith is how we can equal exceedingly and abundantly more than we we can ever hope, dream, or imagine. One moment of faith, one moment of God's favor, nothing. Where are you at? Nothing. Maybe failures felt like your best friend. Got nothing left. Nothing left maybe in your marriage, nothing left in your career, nothing left in that friendship, nothing left in your bank account. You got nothing left. Like, I just feel like I've missed the mark. I haven't gotten it right. Shame attached to it. I just don't want anyone to know about it. Got nothing left in this part of my life. Church, can I remind us that nothing left is often a foundation of faith in Scripture. That those who've got nothing left, who get a little bit desperate, who get a little bit, you know what, I'll try anything, Throw the nets on the other side? Sure, I got nothing to lose because nothing left means I've got nothing to lose. So why would I not try some instructions of Jesus? Why would I not step out in faith today? Why would I not pursue the favor of the Lord in my life? Why would I not believe for more when I've got nothing left? But the problem is, is that for many of us, we don't see nothing left as a launch pad for faith. We see it as a mark of failure. And so instead of charging forward, we shrink back. And we go, I'm a nothing person. I've got nothing. And yet God's like, ah, nothing's a great start. Nothing's a great start. When you put kingdom math into the equation, oh, don't you understand how this works? Don't you see? It's a foundation of faith. But don't miss the secret ingredient of these stories. The disciples still, they did very little, but they were willing to give his instruction a shot. They were willing to give it a try. Even in the face of nothing, they were willing to give a try at the instructions of Jesus, and they came back with a whole lot of something. Usually when down to nothing, we call it quits, and our willingness to try again, our willingness to pivot, our willingness to make a change, our willingness to make an alteration, it diminishes. Call it quits. I've talked about this phrase before. It was something that... Our pastor down in Tulsa would say all the time, and it got in our spirits. Just this reminder, like, if you don't quit, you win. So often, the only way you fail is by giving up. The only way you really fail is by stop trying. When you just throw in the towel, and you're like, I'm just done trying. Faith isn't worth it. This journey's not worth it. This is hard. This is, I just, I give in. It's really the only true failure. But when God says, hey, give it another try, are you willing Are you willing? Because that obedient step of faith just might lead to the favor of Jesus. It just might lead to exceedingly and abundantly more. If you don't quit, you're going to win. 
Kingdom math gives you the effects of multiplication for the effort of addition. You see, when we look at this story, they go from nothing to something. It's a multiplication effect. And it's like, oh, you'd think that this would be more like addition. It's like, no, no, God multiplies things. When his hand is on it, when his favor is on your life, you're sitting there analyzing your life, overthinking every little thing, going, it doesn't add up. Nothing never leads to something. It's wrong. Like, it doesn't add up. And we're so caught up in our intellect at times. We're so caught up. First world problems, the greatest first world problem is you're trying to solve everything because you think you're supposed to. In a first world, we don't have a lot of moments where all we've got left is faith. Where all we've got left is either, God, you show up or it's over. That's why the moments of nothing in your life are the places of the greatest opportunity for the favor of God to show up. Where you've got nothing left. I've got nothing in this area. I'm a failure in this area. Awesome. Give it to God. See what Jesus would say. Listen to the guy on the shore going, hey, try the other side. No, Jesus. Give it up on that. I'm a failure. Try the other side. Do it. Try it. Try it. See what I'm going to do. And isn't it interesting that out of their nothing, their something wasn't really just fish. We know this, church. Their something was a call of God to build his church. There's something, it wasn't about fish. It wasn't about money. It was about purpose. It was about anointing. It was about calling. It was about the greater mission that Jesus had to build his church. What if it's out of your nothing and out of your failure is a key to you discovering your calling and your purpose? That thing, you're like, why have I not found my purpose yet? It's because you gave up so long ago. You laid it down because you thought you were a failure, but there's something there. Would you try again? Would you try again? You know, the series is entitled More Than Enough. So can I tell you, church, your nothing, our nothing is more than enough for God. He created the heavens and the earth from nothing. A word. All it takes is a word from him. And things can be created. Lives can be altered and changed. Where's your faith at? The band comes on up. We're going to worship. Because I want to know, where's your faith at? Do you still believe you can walk out the favor of Jesus? That on the backside of your failure, God could show up with faith. That he could alter your life. That if you would actually present your nothing to God as an offering, say, Jesus, I've got nothing, but I'm here. But I'm willing. But I'm able. You have my yes. You got my yes. I'll give it a shot. I'm not very good, but I'll try. I keep seeming to mess up, and nothing I do produces what I think it should. I don't meet my goals, and I come up short. But you know what? I'll give it a shot. If you tell, if you would just give me clear instruction, I'll cast my nets on the other side. Our nothing is more than enough for God. I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 10 as we close. I'm going to read out of the message paraphrase. I just think it helps us see this picture of this message so clearly. It really puts a bow on this whole thing I'm talking about. But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people 
God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him. To tell others of the night and day difference he made for you. There used to be selected priests that were required in order for people to get access to God. You are now, by accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, stepping in to serve him, you are a priest. Chosen by God. Chosen for the high calling of priestly work. Chosen to be a holy people. We are chosen to be a holy people. Set apart, sanctified by our faith in Jesus. God's instruments to do his work. Speak out for him. To tell others of the night and day difference he made for you. From nothing to something. We all share the same testimony. We were nothing before Jesus, but now we're something. My life was nothing before Jesus. But when you put Jesus into the equation, all that failure, all that nothing can turn into a something in a moment. From nothing to something, church. That's our testimony. All of us, collectively. It's what we literally are building our faith on. Is this idea that I can go from rejected to accepted in a single moment with Jesus. So I may not have much, but what I've got I bring to you. And even if all you've got is nothing, he's going, I can turn that into something. But you just got to respond. Hey, you willing to try the other side? You willing to listen to my instruction? You willing to walk out in faith? I've got favor for you, but you got to listen. Be obedient. And I'll take it. And I'll show you what exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine looks like.